everyone. Welcome to the Anthem Podcast. Bert Alcorn here. If you are just joining us or maybe new to the pod, what we are doing here on the Tuesday pod, so these podcasts that come out on Tuesdays, um, at least in this very near future, is try to understand how First Peter, the book of the Bible that we just wrapped up as a church this past Sunday, have to do with our current cultural moment. And so over these weeks, uh, what we're going to do is we've been and what we'll continue to do is overview the book of 1 Peter and put the whole of 1 Peter in some perspective as we're trying to process through our current cultural moment that we find ourselves in and its challenges and think about where we're headed and its inevitable challenges. And so 1 Peter for our church has just been this, this gift of a book in this season. We started back in the fall and we just wrapped up and it has been so encouraging and it has equipped us so well to meet this moment with the, the posture and the life and lifestyle of Christ. So the letter of 1 Peter is written to disciples of Jesus who are dispersed, right? Right off the top, Peter says in chapter 1, he's writing to elect exiles living in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, And the whole letter is about living in exile or living in a home that is not your ultimate home. And it's about enduring persecution and living differently because our ultimate hope is not found in this world, but actually in Jesus and his saving work in true life. Now, while we today find ourselves in not identical circumstances uh, as the audience Peter was writing to, it's safe to say that we're living in a time and a place where The kingdom of God is not reflected in full. So we've got lots to learn from Peter and his contemporary audience and how we translate that into how we live here and now. And so the question we've been trying to both ask and answer uh, and what really frames these Tuesday pods, these kind of series of five Tuesday pods, and this is right in the middle, the third one, is as followers of Jesus, how do we we meet this moment? And how do we actually grow to become resilient disciples who are faithful in the face of cultural coercion, live a vibrant life in the spirit, and are empowered as a courageous missional presence in our world? And so e- each episode, we're, we're looking at kind of three primary things here. One, uh, the growing issues facing Christians at large in the church, but also in, in us uniquely. Uh, two, how First Peter directly actually addresses those issues. And three, maybe an area of focus or growth or development or learning that we can kind of grab a hold on to and make some forward progress in, in our growth and development. So before we dive into what we got for today, um, please, wherever you do get this content, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on an episode. And while you're there, rate or review this podcast. It's actually super helpful for what we're trying to do on this podcast and also in some of the future projects that we're developing. It means a ton to me. Uh, And if this this content is helpful to you, would you mind sharing it around on social media, particularly if there's a question, an issue, or something we bring up here on the pod that that maybe just resonates with you, please do share it around. Um, I'm really grateful and honored when I hear from you guys about how this is making a difference in your life. Um, It's nice to know I'm not just talking into the ether, but there are real lives who are impacted by some of this stuff. And I'd be even more grateful uh, when you kind of take that step to bring others into our community and share it along. So where we are at today uh, is we're in part three of our five-part Tuesday pod series, unpacking First Peter and what it means for our cultural moment that we find ourselves in today. And so we kind of started with how can you know connection to God. Uh, uh, really informs uh, what we're doing here on earth and how we're living, how we're connected to ourself and understanding our Jesus-centered exilic identity. And today we are looking at how 
cultivating deep and meaningful relationships with those in the church combats loneliness, isolation, and limitless options. And those are bad things. <laughs> so that's kind of what we're getting at today. How cultivating deep and meaningful relationships with those in the church combats loneliness, isolation, and limitless options. And uh, the one I just thought of right now is, is self-spirituality, right? It combats all of those things. Um, so the problem here, this is what we're looking at. What is the problem they're facing? The church or facing Christians today in our current culture um, is in some is being overconnected and hyper isolated. So we've never been more connected and more isolated all at the same time. So this, this might look a, a few different ways. So I'll hit this from a few different angles, but it certainly has a loneliness, anxiety, depression angle to it. Uh, some recent studies have, have showed us that one in five globally suffer from some kind of anxiety. And that number rises to three in 10 in the U.S. that are walking with crippling, active, like anxiety in life. I think another way we also see this um, uh, as a problem here is this disconnect we have between life online and life in person. The disconnect between life online and life in person, which has been exacerbated by COVID-19, right? Where most of our life is actually now lived online. And, uh, and we do have a funny way of curating that life online differently than our in-person life. There, there is certainly on social media, there is definitely a sense of you can put forward your best foot. You can portray a life that maybe isn't actually there, um, but what others may believe to be there based on what they see on social media. And so there's this growing disconnect between the life you live online and the life you live on in person. And then the other angle where, where this is maybe manifesting some issues is this rugged and rigid individualism that says my life is my own and no one else has input into the decisions that I make. Now, all of this stuff, right, the loneliness, depression, anxiety, kind of isolation, um, the disconnect between life online and life in person, this rugged individualism and um and rigid individualism uh, all manifests itself in some deep, unhealthy areas, particularly around our discipleship. And, and just as you read through the Bible, in particular the New Testament, and even more in particular the area of the New Testament that deals with the church, you, you just see there's no, um, uh, like, there's no context for a Christian outside of a local church. It, it just isn't there. It's not even an assumed reality that there might be some Christians who operate with deep, meaningful relationships inside a local church and some who are kind of out on their own. And in fact, those who are outside kind of those deep circle of meaningful relationships in the constraints and confines, and I'm using those words very intentionally, of a local church because they are confining, they are constraining to a degree, and we'll get into that in a, in a little bit, um, it actually doesn't produce more good things in, in their life. Um, one of the one of the things we've we've said is I you know if you're don't know me that well I help lead a church here in Ventura and and so as part of a church is we're always welcoming new people in and always seeing new people out and sometimes we get to send them joyfully and and others we those are kind of heartbreaking conversations but more often than not when we're walking with people who are leaving our church for you know what I would categorize as maybe unhealthy or unwise reasons. Um, the challenge is always, well, you know, like 
you know, and once again, operating the, on the assumption that they're not, you know, moving to a, a new church immediately or whatever is we kind of asked like, well, like, all right, if you're going to take this season and not be a part of a local church for a season, uh, we'll check back with you in a couple months and see if your life is better or worse and see if your posture and your view towards God is, is more joyful and more obedient or more uh, cynical and more hardened. I just finished uh, John Tyson's book called Beautiful Resistance. And by the way, if you've not read it, it's a fantastic read. It's well worth your time. And towards the end in the epilogue is he's kind of rounding out some thoughts and, and he's presenting a lot of reasons why um, those uh, people uh, and, and uh, particularly people who have a hard time with the church may have a hard time not being cynical. Um, and, uh, and he's trying to provide some hope in that space. And he has this line. I don't have the book in front of me, so I may misquote it, but he has this line at the end in the epilogue there. And he says this, he says, bailing on commitment rarely leads to renewal. Often it leads to greater cynicism. And I was thinking about that line and some of the harder relationships and harder conversations that Sherry and I have had as people leave our church. And, and we find that more often than not, that is simply so true. That bailing on commitment to a people, to a local community, rarely actually leads to renewal. Right. And I think if everyone has their own best interest in mind, that is always growing into the likeness of Jesus. And more often than not, bailing on a commitment like that leads to greater cynicism about the church, about relationships, about Jesus, whatever. And so it is more important uh, than ever, I think, before uh, <laughs> the time we're living in is to understand what it's like and, and what it means to be connected to others and have that be a central part of our faith. You know, so often, maybe this is more of just an American thing that we've had to struggle with, but this idea that like my faith is my own, um, that my own personal relationship with Jesus, and, and that's just a foreign idea to the writers of the church. And so our area of focus today is understanding what connection to others looks like and why it's a part of living well, wisely, and holy in our exile, why it's important to us being resilient disciples is actually being connected to other disciples. And so uh, really the call in our area of focus is to be emotionally connected to others in a community uh, and in households as well. I think this is both the, um, the church and the home and friendships as well, uh, that as resilient disciples, we have healthy connection to those we lead, those who lead us, and those around us in community, uh, which is neither cold and detached nor codependently enmeshed. Um, and here in this section of Peter, which is kind of chapters two and three primarily deal with this, although it's scattered throughout, um, he talks about how our identity and even that necessity to be connected with others translates into all sorts of roles we play here on earth. So, you know, he gives some examples in, in chapter three, chapter two and three about masters and slaves and bosses, employees, husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, citizens in a government and in a kingdom and an empire. And uh, what we see is that relationships are meaningful when we are devoted to fellow believers we want to be around and become. And so in the context of 1 Peter's writings, particularly around relationships, there's a sense of devotion that we are committed to uh, those people, whether they are our family or our local church community. 
um, that there's a sense of there, there are people that we want to actually be around and become like. And there are a couple of key practicals that Peter gives uh, to help us live into this life of healthy, deep, and meaningful connection with others. So there's four primary things that I'm going to chat about with you. And the first is this idea of rebellious submission or submitting even when we don't want to. So uh, we see this in 1 Peter chapter 2, um, uh, verses 13 and 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise who do good. So this idea here in First Peter is this rebellious submission. I say rebellious because it's rebelling. It's a counter narrative to the world around us that says um, uh, that you don't have to submit to anyone you don't want to. You don't have to follow anyone else's rules but your own. You don't have to live anyone else's life. You're all that stuff. And so this is like as Christians, as Christ followers, this is like a rebellious thing we do to the culture around us is humbly submit. And especially even when you don't want to, it's not really submitting if you only do it when you want to, right? That's just like agreement, but it is submitting when you don't want to. A uh, great example has been sort of this last year of COVID and some of the whatever masks mandates and, and sort of indoor outdoor gatherings and all of that. And, and there has been a divide that is, uh, that is really committed to try to submit to every human institution, unless they're calling us, unless they're asking us or commanding us to do something that is counter to the things of Christ, right? And so that's been one of the really interesting distinctions is, is a lot of people have built up the straw man argument of saying, well, the, the government is not letting us meet indoors, thus they're not letting us worship. And that is a laughable and silly thing to say, um, because what you're doing is you're confining, you're confining the worship of Jesus to a building inside. And it has actually been like rare in church history that churches have had that kind of luxury to exclusively worship Jesus inside. And instead, there have been churches that have chosen to say, hey, they're not asking us not to worship Jesus, not to pray. They're just asking us not to do it inside for public health and safety. And once again, you know, there can be opinions that differ on either side of this one, but somehow uh, they're claiming um, that the government asking us to not meet inside for a period of time um, is forbidding us for worship. It's just laughably uninformed, ignorant, or perpetrating like a false narrative on purpose. And so here there have been churches that have tried to submit even when they don't want to. Let me say, as a pastor, it would be much easier to meet inside a building in a controlled environment or not dependent on the weather in a big group where we can sort of shepherd everybody at once and not have to decentralize, not have to be outside. It would certainly be easier but we are rebelliously submitting here. And I think as individuals, this happens. Um, that was kind of a broad church example, but as individuals, this kind of plays out in, in church and, um, and in kind of the context of submitting yourself to a local church and their leadership. I just finished another fantastic book that I would recommend to you guys. It's called The Wisdom Pyramid by Brett McCracken. One of the fun things about that book is, is he is an elder at a church that we are kind of relationally connected with down in Orange County. And so there's just a, I, there's just a level of trust that I love when I, someone we like have done some life with, or we kind of see the fruit of that person's ministry, that church's ministry, write something that we can endorse and be excited about. And he, and I'm going to read kind of a lengthy quote rather than just like come up on things on my own. Cause I think it's just really good. And he talks about, um, uh, the church as, um, 
one of the ways we can live wisely here in this world is actually by being a part of and submitting to a local church. And he says this about the church, and I'm going to read this lengthy quote here. He says, quote, the church is an interpretive community where collective wisdom across church history and in various church polity structures um, provide guardrails against errant theology. The church brings fullness and focus to our understanding and application of God's truth in ways that go deeper than what a, quote, just me and Jesus, end quote, approach can provide. Our post-truth age pitches the individual self as the primary source of truth. Follow your heart, live your truth, and so on. And as we saw in a previous chapter that he writes about, authorities of every kind outside the self are now being questioned. And yet we follow our heart, which is, quote, deceitful above all things and desperately sick, according to Jeremiah 17, 9. At our peril, becoming subject to the whims and contradictions of our fickle emotions. It sounds freeing to just, quote unquote, live your truth without the restrictive boundaries of moral police and stodgy institutions. But in reality, it's a burden. All right, so what he's starting to get at, I'm going to, that's the first half. I'm going to read the second half. But what he is starting to get at here is the church as an interpretive community that actually helps us understand the truth in scripture and live it out. That somehow without the local church, we are slaves to our own fickle emotions and our own heart, which is deceitful above all things, according to the scripture. And so this post-truth mantra of follow your heart or live your truth is missing something huge and is missing others that somehow we've bought into the lie that we can do life better on our own when really we need the restrictive boundaries uh, of, of these quote-unquote stodgy institutions. Uh, and he says this freedom we so crave of living our truth, of following our own heart, being the captain of our own ship, is actually not freedom, it's a burden. So he continues, quote, It may seem counterintuitive, but committing yourself to a church, even if it's not perfectly fit to you, as tempting as this is, is freeing. A church community frees you from the crushing weight of self-obsession. It frees you to be a part of something bigger than yourself with people who are not like you. It frees you from the bias-confirming bubbles of only being exposed to like-minded people who always affirm but never challenge you. It frees you from the burden of being accountable only to yourself, what you believe, how you like to worship, how you interpret the Bible, how you want to live, and so on. When we are the only authority on these things, it is hard to become wise, end quote. And once again, anecdotally, as a pastor, I see this. It's really obvious that those who distance themselves from community that might actually challenge and provide insight and wisdom live as fools. I mean, just taking the, the, uh, the wise and the fool narrative from the book of Proverbs, that there is a wise way of living. The Bible clearly teaches that is in community that may even provide encouragement, guidance, or correction that you may not like, but it helps us to become wise. And as we distance ourselves from relationships that will challenge us to grow, we cannot become wise. So in a church, we find a sense of stability and are able to discern how to best pursue hopes and dreams we have or how to discern to change those hopes and dreams if they're not aligned with God. While offering, the church offers a safe, should offer a safe, helpful place to do the hard work of 
discernment and the key ideas, discernment with others. So out of that, from First Peter, kind of this rebellious submission idea, what's maybe an actionable next step or a practice to integrate or something to consider in your life? Well, I think the first um, is to choose to bring decisions, um, especially big decisions or actions, to your community for discernment. So, so don't make a decision by yourself. I think that's, that's a radically countercultural idea, actually. As I say it, it seems simple, but it also seems very foreign. Like, why would I bring a decision to um, buy a new car or not to my church community? Why would I uh, bring a decision whether to move out of state or kind of leave the city to my community or not? Why, why would I bring some of these decisions and I think, honestly, the reason we don't bring these decisions is because we, we are either embarrassed or afraid of the outcome. We're either embarrassed um, about our own decisions making in our life, or we're maybe afraid of the outcome that they, uh, the discerning and interpretive community might actually provide guidance that is counter to what we want. So I, I tell this to people all the time. I, I live in Southern California, a little beach town. It is quite expensive to live here. I'm not naive to that reality at all. It's quite expensive to live here. And, and the part of town we live in is a fairly transient city. And so we frequently have people moving into the city for a short time and then moving out of the city. And that's, that's fine. That's all well and good. And we understand um, our role here in, in that kind of transient city is to equip people and then send them out to their next gospel adventure. But that's not to say that everyone leaves well, or that everyone who does leave should leave, or everyone who does leave should leave the way they left. And so one of the more frequent pieces of pastoral advice I, I give to people who are in this consideration process, particularly around moving, um, is don't make this decision alone. Don't let it just be you or you and your spouse. But invite the community into the decision. Not invite them into the news of a decision made, but invite them into the decision. You know, that's one of the key questions I ask um, people, you know, as, as the pastor, I'm the person they tell when they want to leave our church if they do decide to tell anyone, right? And so uh, my first question typically is when I'm sitting down with a person or a couple is, are you uh, inviting me into a conversation or are you informing me of a decision? Uh, and people leave churches for all sorts of reasons. Um, I'm not going to pontificate on the reasons at the moment, but in, in those moments, if, if people say, well, we're informing you of a decision that's made, uh, at that point, um, <laughs> I don't know if this is good for me to be telling you, I mentally kind of check out of those conversations. I go like, okay, the decision's been made. Um, you're, you're trying to feel less bad about the decision by telling me about it, but you're not actually willing to do the hard work of processing a, a big decision like that. Um, and so I just, I, more often than that, I kind of end the conversation there and go, okay, the Lord bless you and keep you. Um, and as you're moving on to whatever you're moving on to, uh, hope, wish you the best and just listen to Jesus and obey really well. But in those rare circumstances where people say, no, no, we're actually inviting you into a conversation about, about what we should do. Oh my gosh. I almost fall apart in those moments because they are so rare, but to say, yes, I, I would love to be involved in this decision. Thank you for bringing me in. Like, not only do I believe scripturally that, you know, pastors and elders have a role to play, but just at, at a relational level, I'm so grateful. And then we can talk about if there's hurt there, if there's relational baggage to be dealt with, if there are 
job prospects or if there are missional or ministry or kingdom opportunities. And then honestly, out of those come sending moments for our church where we get to rally as a church around those kind of moments and commission them out and pray for them. Whether they moving across the world or heading to a church downtown, we get to lovingly send them out. And it is a beautiful moment and it is tragically a rare moment in the life of our church. And so for those of you listening and wanting to grow in your discipleship and wanting to cultivate deep and healthy, meaningful relationships where we are actually devoted to those we want to be like and, and we want to be becoming. One of the ways you can do that is rebelliously submit to your local community by bringing decisions to the community. Like what if you got a job offer out of state and instead of deciding on the job offer, maybe talking with your spouse or whatever, and then making a call and then telling your church, like, what if you actually brought that opportunity to your community, your local church community, and said, this is what's in front of us. Um, we would like to do it. We think it's a great opportunity, great, but we want to lay it before you to discern together and trusting that if this is something God wants to do, the Holy Spirit is going to speak through this community and actually give us direction. Like, what if you had that kind of radical, rebellious submission? And what if you did that for smaller things, whether or not to buy a car, whether or not to change your budget, whether or not to whatever. Like, what if you brought those things to a community and let the kingdom, let the community of God, informed by the kingdom of God, help you make those decisions? Now, I have a hunch you would make better decisions. They would be wiser. You would grow and your life would be better. But we don't do that because we're maybe embarrassed by the situation and the decisions we make or we're afraid that someone may tell us we're wrong. But here's the deal. Being connected to others and forming meaningful relationships means we have to be willing to be wrong. We have to be humble enough to submit to others, trusting that the Holy Spirit is in them. Yowza, we only got through one of those, okay? The others are going to move much quicker, but I, I, I took some extra time on that one because it is such a radical idea in our time and our place, and one that I believe if the church gets right, like provides a beautifully different vision of the good life to the watching world around us. But number two, what Peter says and how he's informing us to work out these relationships is by practicing conscious self-control. So it's asking the question, what are we using our freedom for to benefit ourselves or serve others? So First uh, Peter 2.16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Um, there's a cinematographer, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, Emmanuel Lubitsky, uh, and he once said, quote, art is made up of constraints. When you don't have any, you go crazy because everything is possible. Now, I dabble a little bit in the graphic design world. I did some freelance stuff before I was leading a church and still kind of find my way into that world every once in a while. And I know one of the hardest things as a designer, as an artist, is freedom. <laughs> it's Once again, it sounds counterintuitive, but actually like good art comes from constraints. And this same sentiment could be applied to life in general, right? Swap out the word art uh, in that quote for the word life, and it still works. Like, life is made up of constraints, and we don't have any. You go crazy because everything is possible. We go crazy when everything in life is possible. I once had a mentor who said one of the number one things wrong with American Christianity, options. <laughs> Endless, limitless options. We don't know where to look. 
where to go, what to trust, what path to take, because everything is on the table. If every direction is possible, we end up going nowhere. This is where the church, where those deep, meaningful relationships are being formed, functioning as a interpretive uh, and, and discerning community of accountability and limitations. That's why I mentioned constraints up above in the episode of accountability and limitation is actually freeing for those who commit to the local church. Peter says here, don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil or, or just gratifying the self, gratifying the flesh, but living as servants of God. Use your freedom to serve others. So next step, an actionable question, practice, something to consider. How am I using my time, talents, and treasures to serve others? Not using your freedom for freedom for your individualistic cover-up for evil, your own gratifications or desires, but how am I using my time, talents, and treasures to serve those around me? Number three thing that Paul gets at here to live well, wisely, holy in our deepening, meaningful relationships with those in the church is a sacrificial heart. A de- and this is our default posture towards others. And he says in 1 Peter 3, 8, finally, all of you having unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. All of those things include dying to yourself. To have unity of mind, to have sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind, requires a posture of dying to yourself, the sacrificial heart. One of the best ways that we can start doing this is by practicing listening, understanding, and cultivating a community of compassion and empathy. I really do believe so many of the issues in the church kind of in a micro level, like relational tensions and the macro level, big disagreements, social media, politics or whatever, like just so much of this, we can do an end run around if we would just listen and practice compassion and empathy. Just gain understanding for someone else's story, especially, especially, hey, especially for those of differing generations. Right? This is where a lot of the divide in the church, inside the church is right now, is of differing generations. What if we led with compassion, empathy, and listened to each other's stories? Now, it takes some dying to ourself to have this kind of sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humble mind. You got to put down our own pride. You got to put down your own rightness, <laughs> whether it's actually right or not and listen, and lead with compassion and empathy. Number four thing that Paul's getting at here in this section is cultivating a commitment to not pull away when things get hard, i.e. community is not a one-time deal. So many of us operate in a local community with a one-strike policy. If I get hurt, someone hurts my feelings. If I get offended, I'm out. Pastor doesn't say something I like, I'm out. If I get called on my stuff and I'm not in the mood to be called on my stuff, I'm out. So many of us operate with a one-strike policy. And Peter says this in 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, above all, above everything you said so far, keep loving one another earnestly. Ongoing, active, present test. Keep loving one another earnestly. 
since love covers a multitude of sins. I love that Peter anticipates we're going to sin against each other and sin so much that he'll have to use the word multitude to describe it. But it says, keep loving one another earnestly. And this kind of love covers all the awful things we do to each other and all this sinfulness. And this is what makes the church family unique, that we do not pull away when things get hard. We do not pull away when we disagree, when we have disagreements or disunities. We fight in love for each other. And one of the ways we can do this is to root ourselves deeply is to form relationships with not just the people who are like you, but others. So like, if you are younger, look for older people in the church. If you are older, look for younger people in the church. Older adults in our church can offer wisdom and discernment and life experience to those who are younger. We could never replicate without them. And those who are younger can bring a passion and a zeal and a cultural awareness to those who are older and have more life experience. I had a, a youth pastor um, way back in the day. It's going to sound a little bit cliche, but it's, it's, it's one of those truisms that has just stuck with me. He says, everybody needs a Paul, a Timothy, and a Silas. And uh, if you're not familiar with the story of the New Testament in, in the Bible, Paul was kind of this older uh, uh, mentor to lots of people, go-getting church planter apostle. Timothy was this younger leader for whom Paul mentored, and, and Timothy was kind of looked to him as a mentor. And, and Silas came alongside Paul as this encourager, as this someone who came alongside next to him and, and helped encourage him and helped him keep going. And and, and the truth behind, you know, saying everyone needs a Paul, Timothy, and Silas is everyone needs someone ahead of them, someone behind them, and someone to the side of them to be healthy, to keep going. We need those older mentors in life who can help pull us towards the track of, of healthy discipleship. We need people behind us that we are pouring into so that we're not a spiritual cul-de-sac. And we need those on the side encouraging us. And so often we settle for one or two and not all three. So often we settle for just some Silas's to the side, but we have no one in front of us mentoring us and no one behind us for whom we can pour into. And we need all three. And that helps root us and ground us and it helps us live out this commitment when things get hard. Because chances are, if you are being mentored by someone older, they're going to say something you don't like. And chances are, if you are mentoring someone who's younger, you're going to say something they don't like or vice versa. And in those moments, there will be an opportunity and a decision point for you to either stay and grow or for you to, re, to, to leave and, and reject those growth moments. So rebellious submission, conscious self-control, sacrificial heart, and a commitment to pull away, commitment to not pull away when things get hard. This is what we are getting at today. This is when we talk about our, our connection to others and actually cultivating deep and meaningful, healthy relationships with those in the church in a way that combats this overconnected, hyper-isolated loneliness and, and limitless option that's in front of us and this rigid individualism. And so uh, one of the things that really does root us and ground us in reality is deep and meaningful relationships where we are devoted to fellow believers we want to be around and become. Thanks so much for listening to the Anthem Podcast. I hope you are enjoying the journey we're on together. I hope it's stirring, encouraging, and challenging you as you're growing to become a resilient disciple 
who's faithful in the face of cultural coercion, lives a vibrant life in the spirit, and is empowered as a courageous missional presence in your world. This is the Tuesday pod. So coming up next is the Thursday pod uh, with our next People of Anthem interview. I'm so excited for that. And over the next two Tuesdays, we're going to be wrapping up kind of our survey of 1 Peter and how that informs how we live here and now. If you haven't already, make sure to make your way to our other podcast that we are launching this week, uh, How to Kill a Church. The trailer is out and episode one launches this week, March 3rd. So be sure to head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, honestly, wherever you're listening to this podcast, make sure you go search for How to Kill a Church, subscribe there, share the news. The first pod, uh, the first episode of that series is coming out this week. I'm so, so excited about it. And if you did enjoy this episode and you'd like to help support this podcast, please do share it along with others. Post about it on social media, leave a rating, a review. That is all super helpful and very easy ways for you to support the work that we are doing here on this podcast. So thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.